John chapter 15, there, please, verse 9, is, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. John 15, verse 10, Continue in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that your joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. May the Lord's blessing to the reading of his word, spoken to the eleven disciples as they're headed to Gethsemane, and so profound truth shared by Jesus to even us today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the beautiful day you've given to us. Help us, Lord, to be hiding in the shadow of the Almighty in the presence of Jehovah. May you find us there. May we long to have spend time with you on a daily basis. Help me today. Forgive me of sin. Empty me of self. And please fill me with your spirit. May we all be asking ourselves the question, am I a friend of Jesus? I ask these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now give the message a title, love one another, but you might also say a friend of Jesus. It, friends are important. Matter of fact, Howard Hendricks, who died in 1983, or sorry, 2013, when Howard Hendricks was teaching at Dallas Theological Seminary, would say these things. Two things will most influence where you'll be in 10 years out of school. The books you read and the friends you make. The books you read, the friends you make. Be careful in choosing both. And I would encourage you as well, the books you read, most of all, I encourage you to read God's word, but the books you read will change your life, and the friends you make will either draw you closer to God by good example or pull you from him. First of all, we see the fellowship of Christ, and then second will be the friendship of Christ. The fellowship of Christ in verse 9 is the wonder of his heart, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Now, we sometimes read these statements and we gloss over them. It's sort of like me when I'm reading the directions of how to put something in or how to build something. I go, oh, I know how to do that. But, and start, here I go. And a, an hour or two later, I know how to put that toilet in there. <laughs> an hour or two later, and a lot of frustration and whining in, on my part, you know, I think I'm going to get the directions out. By the way, I did read the directions when I was doing that little job. And of course, to know, I should have prayed first. I was reminded yesterday or last Sunday morning, someone pithily said as they went out the door, Pastor, did you pray before you started that? <laughs> no, Mr. Womack, I should have. <laughs> I had to tell on you on that one. But some statements, they become from, but they shouldn't be. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. What a love. I mean, the love the Father had for the Son, and that same love, he want, he's sharing with the eleven. Now, who are the eleven? Well, Simon Peter, who's about to deny him three times with oaths, Thomas the doubter, Philip, who wanted to see something immortal, invisible, when it was right in front of him all the time. Show us the Father. The Son has been there. We've got the sons of thunder who were quick to maybe throw somebody under the chariot. We've got Matthew, who previously was a tax collector, hated by all the Jews, and we've got Simon Zelotes, who was a zealot, perhaps an assassin even, before coming a disciple, perhaps he was that. 
And he looked, I love you, man. I love you so much. It's the same love the Father has for me that should have dropped their false teeth out of their their mouths. You love me like this, and I'm so unlovable. And I remember John John Little, senior, would always say, you know, I still am. Lord, you love me when I was unlovable and still am. And that's us. We still are unlovable. Are we not? Yes, I've got a cat at home. I'm really trying to be friends with this cat. It's just not working. It's working a little better, but I'm telling you, I don't trust her for a moment. She's got claws and teeth, sharp claws and sharp teeth, and she knows how to use them. So we're going to just be careful with that. It's, sometimes it's, I told her this week, I said, you know, if I, if I knew now what I knew then, I'd have said no to you. That was like the worst thing I could ever say to her. You know, if I knew now, when she asked me to keep, you know, to take this cat, I would have said, you know, find somebody else. But maybe the Lord, and somebody asked me this morning, which I think maybe, you're getting ready to teach on Job. You think all this is happening to you because you're getting ready to teach on Job. I'm afraid it might be the answer. It might be because I'm teaching on Job. One man said this, the daunting standard for believers' love for each other is set forth in Jesus' words, so have I loved you. When someone comes into our church as visiting or whatever, we should show Christ-like love. Whoever it is, we're to show love. We are. We're to show love when you go home. I tell you what, it's a whole lot easier to show love in church than it is at home. Who are you at home? That's what I want to know. Because you, be you, be, you can be the put on a big facade out in public, but when you go home, does your family, wow, I want to know one thing, my, my dad loves me. Or can your spouse say, wow, you treat me better at home than you do. You see what I'm saying? Our our home life is who you really are. Who you really are when no one's looking is who you really are. Spurgeon said, beloved, you do not, dare not, could not doubt the love of the Father for the Son. It is one of those unquestionable truths about which you never dreamed of holding an argument. Our Lord would have us place his love to us. In the same category with the Father's love to himself, we are to be as confident of one as of the other. He loves us so much, we are in turn to love one another with the same love. The love of believers have for one another is marked by selfless devotion to the meeting of one another's needs. It is not mere sentiment or superficial attachment. In fact, Christians' love for one another is is one of the most powerful apologetics for the church. What's apologetic? We learning the verse. Give an answer. Apologetic. Wow, there's something about you Christians because you you care for one another. You do. You care for one another. Now, it's okay if your cat jumps up at 12.30 in the morning and 4 o'clock in the morning and starts purring real loudly and trying to get right at your face. It's okay to cover up your head and ignore the cat because if you don't ignore him, he's going to the next person until somebody gets out of bed and gives him some treats. Now, if you want to ignore, that is fine. You don't have to show love every time they get up there and want something. They're just cats, you know. And you're the human. You are the boss. Okay, just okay. We forget that part. But, you know, you can choose not to. I'm telling you, when it comes to fellow believers, we don't have that much of a choice. We'll know you are Christians. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, we'll know they are Christians by their love, the songwriter said. It's true. For whom we were, when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Romans 5, 7. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we got really good and happy and, and, and lovable. He died for us when we were despicable and rotten and no good and just down and out. He died for us then. So the wonder of his heart. Second is the way to his heart in verse 9 and 10. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Listen, there, is no, there can be no fellowship without obedience to the precepts and mandates given by the Father. The conjunction if carries the idea of because or in case of Jesus as he did in John 14. If you are just as surely as they practice his commandments, they would abide in his love. You want to know a genuine believer there abiding in the vine. Remember last week we had the vine, we are the branches. The, the, vine, the branch has to abide in the vine. You ignore the vine, you're going to die and get broken off. That's so important, essential. Now notice the Lord claimed for himself complete and unbroken conformity to the Father's law. He had obeyed in every moment of his life exactly the Father's will. You want to see a perfect person, you can only go to one place, that is Jesus here on earth when he lived a, a perfect sinless life. God of very God, man of very man, together in one. Not two separately, and not all God and no man, or all man and no God. Those were early Christological heresies. The Bible is clear, one God in the person of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and the Son came the hypostatic union, man and, and God together. I'm, is that important, Pastor? It's essential. Because if God didn't die for you, you have no salvation. You understand that, right? If Jesus, as God, did not die for you, I could die for you all day long. I, it doesn't do any good. But when God came and has the power to forgive your sin, and he died in your place, now that is what we're talking about. And then raised from the dead. He did everything to please his father. So when he said to the disciples, that is how I have lived, and that is how you are to live, to please the father. Morris says, notice that this is done as an explanation of the means of abiding in his love. This is not some mystical experience. It is simply obedience. It is when a man keeps Christ's commandments that he abides in Christ's love. Sometimes we make the Christian life too difficult to understand. It's not, it's, it's the things, it's what Mark Twain said so famously, infamously long ago. It's nothing the things in the Bible that I do understand that bother me, or that I don't understand that bother me. It's the things that I do understand that bother me. We know. Listen, if you want to abide in Christ, you have to obey his commandments. The revival is happening across America in various colleges. I know it's Cedarville and Lee and Asbury and other places around Listen, revival comes when you and I get our lives right with God. You cannot circumvent obeying the commands. So a revival could happen here. Now, we could schedule special meetings. I cannot guarantee we're going to have a revival. That would be great. Revival happening on April 1, 2, and 3. Little Sandy, well, there's going to be special meetings. I really hope it becomes a revival. God sends the revival and by the way, to be revived, you have to have first been alive first before you can be revived. You cannot revive someone who has no experience with Christ as their Savior. They can be saved. But to be revived means that you sort of lost your, you've got backslidden, we call it. 
You're not as close to God as you used to be. Adrian Rogers, I heard him say it different times. If you're not as close to God as you, this today as you were yesterday, you're backslidden. Well, that is true, is it not? We don't want to hear those things, necessarily. Not only the, the wonder of his heart, the way to his heart. Thirdly, the way from his heart, verse 11. These things, 1511, have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. The word remains is the same word as abide, a verse earlier. Full means to make complete in every way. He wants your joy to be completely, completely happy. And in him, happiness, what happens? Joy comes from God, comes from heaven. That joy no matter what. You can have joy even though you're struggling, even though you've done this, even though all these things are happening, even though you're getting ready to preach on Job, and even though I had to do four shot backs of water out of the basement the last week just to get the... I'm looking at pumps now, so we're finding something working. But just to get that out, you can still have joy. Now, I'm not saying the pastor has joy all these times. I'm glad there's not a video camera in our house. I'm not saying I do it right all the time. But the, the possibility is there if we put God first. It is. Like one commentator said, no one is more miserable than a Christian who for a time hedges in his obedience. He does not love sin enough to enjoy its pleasures, and he does not love Christ enough to relish holiness. He perceives that his rebellion is iniquitous or wrong, but obedience seems distasteful now. He does not feel at home any longer in the world, but his memory of the past associations and the tantalizing lyrics of his old music prevent him from singing with the saints. He is a man most to be pitied. And that is it. You, you can't do it both ways. You can't have your feet, one foot here and one foot in the world, one foot in, in, in God's plan. No, just stay, get off the fence and walk with God. You try to vacillate, and you're never going to be happy. You're not. Joy of the Lord is when we put ourselves in the Lord's hand and are obedient to Him. I was the happiest. when My, my parents were the happiest with me when I was obedient. There was that, okay, I'll do it. And I very rarely did I do it maybe on the first thing. Angie's here because she knows me, my first cousin, so she knows my mom and dad really, really well. Uh, but I did, I'm not saying it all the time, but the happiest I was was when dad and mom asked me to do something, and on a rare occasion, I didn't complain about it when I did it. And so, wow, I just, I just did it. just did it. And that's what God has told us. These things to do. And I'm the happiest, I tell you, when I'm not doing things I should not, watching things, reading things, looking at things, saying things, going places. I'm the happiest when I'm walking. Are you not the happiest when you're walking with God? There's nothing like that right relationship with God. You can go to, you can go to bed at night, and, and, and my wife's on medicine now, so we almost have a race that she can go to sleep first. And so, well, well I, she beats me a lot of the times now. And so before I could put my head on the pillow and about ten good breaths, I'm gone. And I've never snored a day in my life. Okay, <laughs> that's to be a big lie. Okay, uh, I've snored pretty much every, as soon as I start, anyway, we'll just go on with that. But we are to be obedient, and the happiest we are is when we are walking with God, obeying his commands. So, away from his heart, and then finally, verse 12 in this part, the will of his heart. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Wow. What a commandment he's given to us. I like what the Barclay says. We are sent out into the world to love one another. Sometimes we live as if we were sent out in the world to compete with one another or to dispute with one another or to quarrel with one another. It's not God's plan. I read this week, if you're reading the devotionals, by the way, we have new devotionals back there in the back table. 
Pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick except for the person that has it. Pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick except the person that has it. God's not called us to pride either. He's not. He keeps coming back to this idea Jesus does of this sacrificial love is to be the norm. Remember, affliction is not the abnorm. In this life, affliction's the norm. If you can live without affliction, that's abnormal for a time. I can almost, I prayed for every one of you today, for the most, everyone except visitors, I prayed for you already today. And I pretty much know, and I could point to each one, almost, don't do it. He's, they're struggling with this. They have this to overcome. You don't know this, but this person has this. You don't know about this, but they're struggling here. And, and they're facing this. And this person's facing that. And this person's face. That's the norm of this life until we get to heaven. So deeply was this commandment engraved on the heart of the evangelist John who wrote this gospel that Jerome says that in his extreme old age when he used to be carried to the public assemblies of the believers. Now remember for just a moment, John was the last disciple to live, died 95, 80, 180, somewhere in that general neighborhood. The last one alive. He writes this gospel having looking back on what Christ did and looking back at the life much later than the first three synoptic gospels. And they would carry him to the services and he would say, little children love one another. And his disciples wearied at last of the constant repetition by John saying, love one another. Why They asked, John, why do you constantly say the same thing? And he said, because Jesus said it is the commandment of the Lord and the observation of it alone is sufficient. Now, I know there's more things to the gospel message than that, but he is saying if we love one another, that's going to cure a lot of ills. If I could start liking that cat in my house, I might not be so angry with her or frustrated or avoid her when she does these things. I mean, if I could just start doing this, it's going to be a long time away. But I'm telling you, if you were to love one another, if I love Jeremy Boyles as Jesus loved his disciples, I'm looking out for Jeremy's best interest day in, day out. If he needs something, he can call me. I'll be right there. It's, 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 do you see what love Jesus has for his disciples? He expects that. Where is that saying, Pastor? Look what it says. I, this, this, these things, 17, I command you. That you love one another. You can't skirt around that. You can't skirt around revival without having God's word clearly declared and repentance and and getting right with God. That's what revival is. You can, be, you can be revived in your house. You can be revived at church, at school, wherever. In your work, you can have a revival at work. One of the great revivals in New York City started when businessmen got together on their lunch hours and started praying. Prayer, I think, also is absolutely essential to revival. Prayer. That's the fellowship of Christ. Secondly, is the friendship of Christ, starting 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, I don't think specifically, speaking of the atoning work of, at Calvary, is going to happen just in a day or so. That's where we are. We're on the night before the crucifixion. That's where, that's what Jesus, and still, Jesus is telling his disciples that even though they're going to scatter, I love you the same love that God the Father has for me. I should be, isn't that just like mind-blowing? That he would love us with that kind of love? I think the, the purpose of this laid out his life for his friends here is, that's the greatest, if you would, he's speaking of the death that is voluntary surrender for the good and well-being of those he loves. 
The greatest love anyone can show for a friend is to die for him. Every once in a while, you'll read a story about an incredibly brave person who sacrificed their lives uh, for someone else, maybe on the battlefield or to rescue a drowning person or to give someone, uh, save someone from inside a burning home or something, and they give their very own lives. I'm sure a lot of rescuers recently, uh, over 40, what, 46, 7, 8,000 people now have died, 48, I don't, I don't know where it's up to now. But a lot of rescuers are giving a lot of their time and effort to rescue people. One guy, I think, it was 278 hours. He was under rubble and still alive. But people have given their lives. And then there's some still living who perhaps gave a kidney to someone they didn't even know, a perfect stranger. And you say, well, would I do that? Hmm. And we can speculate about that. Would you be so heroic? But really, how about more practical? Husbands are commanded, for example, I'm going to pick on the husbands for a moment, to love their wives as Christ loved the church. He said, oh, pastor, I sure would die for my wife to save her from an intruder that was trying to kill her. Okay, but you die to her yourself daily to help her. You turn the TV off and leave the computer and help her clean up the kitchen. Do you get the kids to bed, grandkids to bed? Do you clean the cat pens? Do you feed the fish in the aquarium? Do you take the dogs for the evening walk? Do you make supper sometimes? Do you do the laundry? Do you fold the laundry? Do you put away the laundry? Do you sweep? Do you mop? Do you give up your own pursuits because you delight to be with her? You might be willing to die if an intruder comes in, but are you willing to die to self today and this week to show your love? Now, whether her, her uh, love language is acts of service or not, I'm telling you, it's going to work a big thing if you do sacrificial love for your spouse. And wives could be the same thing said to them. But I picked on the husbands because you're responsible for your home. You, I, I want to skirt around that. You can't. You can't skirt around it. Now, you may say, I'm, I'm going to get You can't. I'm going to go this way. You can't. God's going to hold you accountable, husband, for the way you led your home. The friendship was demonstrated. Secondly, how the friendship is declared in 14. You are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. That is an amazing thing. A friend, not a servant, your friends. Now, because all sin is rebellion against God, turning from sin necessarily implies obedience to God. If you're going to have revival and you see sin, revival and you see sin in your life, you confess it, you forsake it, and you turn the other direction. That's part of getting right with God. You can't say, I'm living a known sin, I'm living contrary to God's will, and I'm getting revived. You can't do that. Revival means you get rid of the sin. Confess that and live for God. Obedience is not the means of salvation, but I'm telling you, it's an inevitable result of you being saved. If you're truly born again, you are going to do what God has asked. Now, not perfectly, but that's going to be your heart's desire. I don't want to go out and steal and rob and lie and cheat and do all those things. I don't want to do those things. Does it mean I'm perfect? By no means am I perfect. The branches that abide in Christ in a true vine will inevitably, what, bear fruit. Now, it may take some pruning. Pruning, sorry, pruning. Pruning, and you have to scrape the parasites off the vine and get all these things off. But eventually, as you abide in the vine, fruit's going to come. I always wondered why you go by vineyards and all you see are these vines screwing around like that. Hardly any leaves at all. There's no leaves because the leaves distract from the fruit. There's a lot of, there's a lot of vines in the world today. Christian vines, you have a lot of leaves. 
And I think sometimes there's not even a, a branch in there. It's just all leaves and not even a branch. They're not even connected to the vine. But you and I, we want to see there should be fruit. The Lord seems to, I think, linger on this word friends for just a, just a couple of verses here. That friends do things for him. Friends put himself, put themselves out for each other, if you would. The Lord does not say to us what it means, uh, what he wants done because we are his servants. The ser- servants and slaves, as you well know, has hit such a difficult ro- road in our culture. But in the Jewish culture, it did not mean that. Matter of fact, a lot of the, <clears throat> matter of fact, Old Testament describes slaves of God, including Moses, Caleb, Joshua, Job, David, and Isaiah. And the New Testament, Peter, Jude, James, Paul, John, all called themselves slaves, servant of Christ. It reflected an outer submission to and dependence on the heavenly master. A servant was brought, was bought, owned, subjected to, provided for by his Lord. He lived in total submission. A servant or a slave may be doing the job without that intimate relationship with, with, with his Lord. But I'm telling you, we as Jesus' servants, we have that close relationship. We are the friends of God. Matter of fact, only two people in the Old Testament were called a friend of God. Abraham, and it says of Moses, that they talk face to face as a friend talks with one another. A friend is a confidant who shares the knowledge of the superior's purpose and voluntarily adopts. It has his own. Jeremy says, well, Pastor, I really want to go smallmouth fishing on Saturday. You want to go? Yes. I, I, I'll submit to your will, Mr. Mr. Jeremy, sir. I'll, I'll obey, and I'll happily obey on this case if we're going to go smallmouth fishing and I can catch something. It's interesting. In that culture uh, in the Mideast, the, 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 the emperor or the king would have friends. And these were a very select group of the friends, and at all times, these friends had access to the king, even though they had, uh, they even had the right to go back into his bedchamber at the beginning of the day. He talked to them before he talked to his generals, his rulers, and his statesmen. The friends of the king were those who had the closest and the most intimate connection with him because they were the king's friend. Go right on in, sir. You're the friend of the king. You can go whenever you want. Sam Rayburn was the Speaker of the House of the United States of America, the longest of anybody ever. The story is told that he had a friend, and the friend, uh, his daughter, the friend's daughter unexpectedly died one night. And the next morning, that friend heard a knock on the door, and Mr. Rayburn was standing there. He said, I just came by to see what I could do to help. And the father, in his deepest grief, said, I don't think there's anything you can do, Mr. Speaker. We are making all the arrangements now. Well, said Speaker Rayburn, have you made your coffee this morning? He goes, well, no, we've not actually had breakfast. He said, I can do that. So the Speaker of the House went inside this man's home and made his husband and wife coffee that morning in this very, very, very difficult morning. And the husband came out and said, now, Mr. Speaker, I thought you were supposed to be having breakfast with the president this morning. He goes, I was, but I called the president and told him I had a friend who was in trouble and I could not come. A friend who was in trouble. And I could not come. That's the idea of friendship. It's demonstrated, declared. But also, we have the friendship of Christ is determined in 15, verse 16. You have not chosen me, I have chosen you. He chose his disciples knowing what they would do. He's offered you salvation and he's willing to save you even though he knows that probably down the road you're going to fail, etc. But he still loves us with an everlasting love that never changes. And divine intention in 16. 15, 16, and ordained you that you should go forth and bear fruit. Ordained means to be placed or sent or appointed. 
Here the word describes their assignment as apostles. They're going to go out and share the gospel. By the way, we've been appointed to share the good news that God's given to us. We've been appointed to bear fruit. But your fruit should remain. Satan cannot uproot God's vine, and he cannot destroy God's fruit. And they were to go forth. Remember Peter and the day of Pentecost preached 3,000 saved? And then later in chapter 10, he went to one Cornelius, and the Gentile, the gospel, went to the Gentiles. Fruit abounded on Peter's account. Divine invitation, 16, that whatsoever ye shall ask in the Father's name, he may give it you. It's an invitation to storm heaven's heights. It is not an invitation to hold God over the barrel and ask whatever thing you want to please your own self in. Ask. We have not because we ask not in the will of God. We need to ask that way. And finally, 17, we have a friendship that's duplicated. These things I command you that you love one another. Friends of a friend should be friends. Analogy that fits the spokes of a wheel, if you would. As the spokes draw closer to the hub, the spokes of a wheel are drawing closer and closer to the hub. They draw closer and closer to each other. If I were to give you one point as a married couple, if you want to grow in your love for each other, first of all, the point is here. Christ is at top, and as we grow in our love for God, we are going to grow in our love for each other as our love for God grows. So important, very simple principle. If you want to get closer to your spouse, Get closer to God. Very simple. Hard to do. Takes time to do. But that's the principle. The Christian life, by the way, as we close, is not a spectator sport. He did not choose believers to stand idly by while the world continues on its way to hell. On the contrary, his explicit command is to go ye therefore and teach all nations. It's upon me, it's upon you that we as a church are to go forward and share this wonderful news and the revivals across that we've heard those. A revival in Africa, Amy for Africa, how many hundreds, thousands have been saved as a result of that. Other places in the world, China, there's going to be out of, and by 2050, I think I told you Wednesday night, there's in the southern part of Africa, four out of ten Christians will live in the sub-Saharan Africa. That's how fast it's going to grow. And you know where the greatest threat for terrorism is? Sub-Saharan Africa, where the church is going to grow. Friends. Friends. So are you a friend of Jesus? And are you a friend like Jesus was to others? So would Jesus call you his friend? He would if you're loving others, especially those of your home and your church. He would if you're seeking to obey his commandments. He would if you're growing to understand truths revealed by the Holy Spirit and God's word. He would call you a friend if you know that he chose you to bear fruit that remains and you're seeking to bear fruit through prayer. He would call you his friend. Would he call you his friend today? For the unbeliever, friendship starts with a relationship. You must first have a relationship with Christ if you're going to be his friend. Secondly, for the carnal Christian. Oh, pastor, no. You meant, what is a carnal Christian? It's something that shouldn't be, number one. It's a Christian who just is happy, just, you know, a little bit here. I call him a nominal Christian. It's, it's a Christian who's living more for the world than he is for Christ. It's a Christian, yes, he's got his fire in church. He knows Christ is Savior and he's always going to heaven. But that's all the farther I want to go. I want my life and I want to do what I want to do. Yes, I want to go to heaven. But I'll, I'll, you see, that's, that's incongruous. 
If you're truly born again and you're truly a child of God, you should be the striving believer, one who wants to walk with God, one who seeks to please Him. As a carnal child of my parents, sometimes I would disobey. Yes, the pastor disobeyed. My brother, far more. No, I won't throw him under the bus again today. Uh, I disobeyed. But if I loved my parents as I was supposed to, every time they asked me, I would say, yes, Dad, happy to do it. If I had said that, they probably would have killed over dead away. Yes, Dad, happy to do that. But see, that's what I should have done, and that's you and I. God asks us to read his word, to attend his church, to pray, to tell others, to do what he wants us to do. It should be, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Well, Lord, I just, you know, Lord, I've got some things I've got to do. And Lord, I've got so much in my time. I've got, things I got, I, I've got some things I've got to do, and that just takes a lot of time. Don't be doing that. Yes, Lord, I'll talk to that person today. Or yes, Lord, I'll give this. Or yes, Lord, I'll do this. Don't be waffling. Be a striving believer. Let us pray together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, I pray that you speak to our hearts today. You are the vine, we are the branches. And Lord, this is such a monumental statement to love one another as I have loved you. Lord, it's a tall, it's a Mount Everest man but lord with your help we can work that direction so lord may you live your life through me this week each of us who name you as savior may you live your life through us may we be willing to be used and lord if there's a need this morning for salvation perhaps there are those who've never received christ as their very own personal savior perhaps there are those who have been saved but never baptized by immersion afterward and they want to become part of our church fellowship or lord just people who need folks who just need want to come and pray don't even want to share their request but it's between you and and them, and they want to just pray about it in front. Lord, if there is a need today, may we not, again, hesitate. May we respond. I ask these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.